I want to jump in before the show started to say that although this episode is about Gardens of the Moon, we do lightly discuss spoilers for the first four books of the series. So listen at your own caution. All right. So when it comes to naming this, my first thought was the epigraph hour. But I feel like that's a really low hanging fruit. And I don't think the show is going to go an hour long. So, yeah, yeah no. What about epigraph o'clock? Um, epigraphs and epilaphs. That's pretty bad, but I love it. Okay. What about okay. epigraphs? Mm, eat my you ass. To... <laughs> oh, I love it. It really is bringing a vibe to this. What about epigraph me, bro? What is that referencing? <laughs> you, can't, I, you can't just say noun and then me, bro. <laughs> No, that's like a thing, you know? Kids are always saying that to each other. Epigraph me, bro. Inside the epigraph. The epigraph corner. Epigraphical. Epigraphical. Are you having a stroke in front of me? Epigraphical. It's not a word. I'm astounded with the word that you just tried to say. I wish I'd known we needed a name. I could have come with something prepared. What about exploring epigraphs? Oh, that's that's good. That's it. Now these ashes have grown cold. We open the old book. These oil-stained pages recount the tales of the fallen. A frayed empire, words without warmth. The hearth has ebbed, its gleam and life's sparks are but memories against dimming eyes. What cast my mind, what hew my thoughts as I open the book of the fallen and breathe deep the scent of history. Listen then to these words carried on that breath. These tales are the tales of us all, again, yet again. We are history relived, and that is all. Without end. That is all. Very big books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond, and with me today is Joshua Baker. Tis I, unnicknamed, unbent, unbowed, un—that's the wrong genre series. And today on the show, we're starting our exploring epigraphs mini-series. I've just named, we've just named it here. On this, we will be exploring the epigraphs, as you might have put together, and uh, specifically, you know, on the show, we talk a lot broadly about our impressions about the books and our reactions to it, and I think this is going to be a great chance to get on a textual level to discuss some of the epigraphs in the front of each chapter. This week, we're going to be focusing on the epigraphs of Gardens of the Moon, and talking about uh, ones that stood out to us, the languages of some, and kind of how we're feeling about epigraphs within context of the whole series. 
And I just wanted to say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters who make bonus episodes like this possible. We've had the chance to make some other bonus episodes for that, and uh, we're going to continue to put some extra podcasts down into the world. So first, I want to get started, and I just wanted to note the kind of awkwardness that we're going to approach this with. Uh, I would say most things I do are awkward, so that sounds accurate. I'm more getting at, I think, that like... Erickson really uses these epigraphs to kind of set a mood and tone, specifically mm-hmm. following through the chapter. So I think sometimes during this discussion, you know, looking at just these in a vacuum, I don't think is necessarily looking at the whole picture about it. So mm. hopefully our epigraph explorations, we can get through them and eventually catch up with it to maybe release one for Midnight Tides or Bone Hunters or, you know, try and catch mm-hmm. up with the show eventually. But yeah. for now... I think it's going to just be something we live with. So let me uh, let's get first into it. We opened up the show today by reading this epigraph that opens the series. Josh, you said this is the epigraph you wrote the most notes about. Why was that? Well, I I don't even remember if I read this before we like, you know, tackled Gardens of the Moon. But uh, I guess what threw me off is I'm I'm notorious. I like never think about the subtitle of things mm. ever. I just don't care about it usually. And so I know that this is a tale of the Malazan Book of the Fallen. And I like read this and I was like, now hold up. Is this like, is there in universe a book of the fallen? And I, I don't know. That really got me thinking because I know Erickson in his interviews with us has has talked about his love of the meta. And so it's really gotten me thinking about um and it, this could not be true at all, but like the possibilities that Josh Baker is is presumed to be reading a book of the fall, or like an act, like a, a retelling that is like a book that in this universe would exist. And I don't know it really it really sent me down a path because I was like that would be an interesting angle because I think there there's been books and like movies like there's tons of movies like uh, Princess Bride where it's like told within like you know it's the it's a story being told actively. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like if that's the case with this book, you know I've gotten no hints that I'm being told a you know a story or something. So I thought it very interesting. That is interesting. And, and I think what's, uh, you pointed that out, but you also pointed out that you, you almost didn't remember if you read it. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, who knows if you did, right? But yeah, I think the point is that like at the start of this series, I, I think this, I too was struck by the series epigraph. It's a great, it's a great little piece, right? And there's a lot in it that I think ties to the rest of the series. But it's a thing that like, it's the first, you know, 70 words you read or something. I just like the first time I read it, my head was not in the mind space to engulf that type of information. Yeah. Do you mean? Oh, yeah. I think especially when I approach a genre work sometimes, like you're, I don't know, you're, I'm looking to be oriented in some way. And there, there mm. are some epigraphs later that I think are about exposition and orienting the reader. I would, yeah, we'll talk about them. I would say, uh, I feel they gave me more exposition while, and now that I've read the book and gone back than they did in the moment but i know what you mean yeah i agree josh as i told you when we were reading grounds of the moon reading it a second time for me really clean clear made me yeah. understand a lot more <laughs> anyway anyway so what other impressions did you add about this first epigraph i just i i think the, the only other thing i took from it is uh the idea of uh we are history relived you know and i think i think a lot of the themes we're seeing in this book are just like patterns of repetition you know specifically like it seems like making the same mistake we have like multiple empires that have risen and fallen and somehow we're led to, you know, our, our central focus is the, is the Malazan Empire and 
you know, honestly, as I read it, I, I don't believe it's going to last. Like, I, I don't believe it's going to end up being the empire that makes it, you know. Um, and it's just it's kind of that idea of like the cyclical nature of all these big powers. So, yeah, I really agree. I, I, too, highlighted that line. We are history lived and that is all without end. That is all. And I think to me, I think you're touching on the cyclical thing he's trying to touch on there. To me, there's a really tragic idea oh, yeah. being conveyed there, right, about a sense of helplessness in pattern that we are doomed to repeat in not mm-hmm. only like our personal lives or just the, the the our interpersonal connections but also how society is just caught in these cycles and civilizations come and go and are, are, are all caught caught up in these same flaws that are ultimately human ones yeah so moving onward immediately after this opening one to the series you know, because well, there's really pr- a l- sometimes he's sometimes the epigraphs stack. So there's yeah. the series one. And then we move. Boom, 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 boom. The emperor is dead. Yeah. Reading this now, I was like, God, this is this really clears up. So many, like there's so many things reading this now that I like I like understand so much more. And but at the same time, there's so much that I'm sure that like if I read this in three more books, I'd be like, ah, now I understand why he said candelabra. That is that's the key to the yeah. <laughs> the thing. I think this emperor is dead passage is notable in two ways. First, it is, I would say, first off, the ropes cut clean. And oh, yeah, this is amongst those things that more keen eyed readers than I point to as like, well, the first time through, this is why I knew Kellen Venn and Dancer had ascended is because of stuff like this or some other stuff hinting throughout Grunge the Moon. I certainly did not do it. But you can see but you can see how from this, you know, hindsight's 2020, you know, and yeah. I also think what's interesting here, we're going to be able to talk about it later on, but you do notice Fellison wrote this. Uh, this that's Yeah, this uh, recurring thing for me while I was going through this is uh, only once in the initial read did I ever notice a character's name. Like, did I pay attention to who wrote something? And I'll get to that specific one when we do. But this one, I really paid attention to it a lot. And Fellison writes a few things, which... I have questions about because it, 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 it's so uh, if you don't have the book in front of you, this poem is attributed to it looks like a book called Call to Shadow or a series of poems called Call to Shadow mm. by Fellison, who we have met. And uh, I, I wonder is if we're to presume that she wrote this as a child while still living in the parent household is does this imply that after she be, after this book she will be back to Fellison, not shake reform i have many questions about how and when she could have written this yeah i think uh i would say uh you should keep your eye because i would say there's it's very interesting some books and i've been keeping my eye, eye through it on this first reread of mine there are some canonical in i don't know in world texts that are referred to a lot and call to yes, shadow yes. is one of them yes. and so and it's the same thing that goes there are some in-world authors or writers that are are referred to a lot and i think it's interesting how we're going to talk a bit more about it at the end but I do think it's one way he's writing about an exposition of a style, you know, because it's not like at this moment you're reading Fellison and you have any comprehension about it. Oh, yeah. Right. And you write you right now don't really understand it. Right. But no, I understand that I that it, it's it's many more layers than I initially thought it was. You know, I read this and was like, well, the, this author's a mad. I don't understand what he could be saying right here. Yeah. Uh, and now I now it's, the, the, the you know, on a reread, I, I can't wait for this. 
Yeah, and it, it, I think here he's exposing uh, cracks through the world he's laid out to see different parts mm-hmm. of it, you know? Yeah. Um, so here, I wanted to, I, I've picked out some epigraphs in particular I wanted to highlight, and then at the end, I think it could be worthwhile to talk about the different types. Yeah, I've got a couple I want to talk about. So, chapter seven opens with, I see a man crouched in a fire who leaves me cold and wondering what he is doing here so boldly crouched in my pyre. Gadrobi epitaph, anonymous. Yeah, I, uh, I, I actually, I want to say, um, so, so Steve writes all this poetry, and uh, he has gone on the record that he writes all of the poem. He writes the poem first before he writes the chapter. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I think it is unfair that he is so good at these short poems. His mm. long poems are fine, and I think I could write a long poem if I needed to, you know? I do not think if you were like, in six words, can you just rock me or in six in six lines could you rock me and i'm like no and steve like this i love this one i think steve when it comes to some of steve's writing i really do think less is more and a lot of times but specifically why i highlighted well this, he doesn't seem to think that most of the time well i specifically <laughs> highlighted this epigraph because i think for me there's various different kinds and to me the best type of epigraphs in these books are ones that include like a moat of inscrutability you know, mm-hmm. in that it's t- it's prodding at a veil of mysticism or confusion or just something that like it's not quite, you know, it feels a little fuzzy, but there's something yeah. there for me. Do you mean there's something I'm connecting to with this writing, but it, it's not just quite clear cut because that stands in contrast to some of the other epigraphs in these books, which just serve different types of functions. So I think mm-hmm. when it's just the most types of abstract writing, I more connect with the epigraphs. What do you think? No, I'm fully with you. I, I think, uh, well, actually uh, twofold answer. I think... On this reread, going ju- just analyzing the epigraphs, I think uh, I latched on to more of the expository version ones. Yeah, um, but that was that was more because of I was I was able to go oh 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 I understand now right like that yeah, was yeah. like it was those moments. However, like when we're reading House of Chains, you know, currently I always latch on to the to the vague shit because. <laughs> Because I'm like, you know, I, I'm not yet, I'm not allowed to understand the expository ones yet. That's yeah, not my yeah, place. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I'm with you. In the moment, it's always like the the ones that I just don't quite understand that, I, that I'm really into. And I think they're, and, and they're best set, and this is an element we're, we can't really touch on right now, when they're, they're setting the mood and tone for the chapter, and it's yes. almost setting like a North Star for where we are going in these well, next yeah. part of the story. Well, chapter seven is an easy one to, to kind of relate that to, because, you know, I see a man crouched in fire, who leaves a cold, and then um, the chapter is in one of Kruppa's dreams, where typically he ends up like at a crossroads somewhere, uh, you know, you at a fire sharing his time with somebody. So yeah. I think that one, you, you know, lends itself really easily. Yeah, I'd have to go back more specifically to check on it. Um, Josh, what, uh, what, what, what epigraph stood out to you? Um, I uh, want to talk specifically about chapter four. So chapter four is an epigraph that I actually, uh, t- I want to talk about the author more than I want to talk about. Um, oh, yeah. Well, so when we read Gardens of the Moon and then later Memories of Ice, uh, I was not I was not surprised or shocked when Talk the Younger came back uh, because all the way back here in Chapter Four, uh, he is accredited to this poem about the Bridge Burners, and 
my thought process was this dude's known them for like a day. He cannot have written a whole poem about them before he gets thrown into the warren of chaos by Hairlock, you know? Mm. So I, I, I was like, that that is too, so far the only example of me being like me getting something useful out of an epigraph that like gave me a hint as to what would happen later. Well, how you know are you I mean? looking back on that information now, knowing how Tox's well, story ends I, up in Memories of Ice? Yeah, well, I would say now it's really interesting to me is because because Tox doesn't go. It's very interesting because I he still doesn't spend much time with the Bridge Burners, right? So to me, this I I have to imagine that this poem is about the death of Whiskey Jack. Um, you know what I mean? I I have to because that is like the only big you know moment that the bridge burners kind of are, are would be able to share with talk i mean i guess he's rescued by them before he kills himself and you know releases the wolf spirit or whatever the fuck happened uh i don't know it's just very interesting but i i, I don't know that it's about that moment but I, I have to that's the only thing that makes sense to me i know you're focusing on the talk part which is fair i think for me what stood out to me about this poem and then kind of the emperor is dead um poem at the beginning is mm-hmm. It makes me see all of the exposition that I was busy not understanding the first time I read this book, you know? Oh, that's that's definitely true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I've always felt conflicted about Gardens of the Moon because there is information there. And like, you know, this is being told to me, but I definitely didn't understand it. So I don't know how yes. to balance those two things. I ultimately usually come out more on my my side of it that I don't know my miss my I don't know. My lack mm-hmm. of comprehension is something to be taken accounted for. And yeah. anyway, so that's all to say, now when I look at back something like this, you know, I, I don't know, it just makes, it makes me think about how Erickson was trying to go about delivering me in that information and how it was successful or not. I wanted to, it's a longer one. Are you on 11? Yeah, I'm going to 11. That's, I marked on 11 too. I really want to, yeah, this awesome. is a good one. Josh, do you want to read it for us? Sure. The night held close as I wandered, my spirit unfooted to either earth or stone. Unraveled from tree and driven by iron nail, but like the night itself, a thing of air, stripped of light. So I came upon them. Those masons who cut and carved stone in the night, sighting by stars and battered hand. What of the sun, asked I of them, Is not its cloak of revelation the warmth of reason in your shaping? And one among them answered, No soul can withstand the sun's bones of light, and reason dims when darkness falls. So we shape barrows in the night for you and your kin. Forgive my interruption, then, said I. The dead never interrupt, said the mason. They but arrive. I mean, the dead never interrupt, they but arrive is maybe the coolest sentence well, to that's, actually happen. That's the fucking kicker now, ain't it? I mean, uh-huh. I think that sentence is great and also kind of recontextualizes the whole poem at the end of it. And I don't know, I think maybe there's something, to me, comforting about that notion that... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think it is a it is a dark poem, but it is not like a... I, don't, I, I agree, it is a... It, it leaves me feeling better, you know, than I think you, I would imagine, given like the, you know, kind of macabre nature of it. 
Yeah, I think it's it's a bit macabre, but I also think it's prodding at like kind of a peaceful type of death, you know? I yes, think yes. the books try and write about death different ways, and I think here saying we but arrive is kind of portraying kind of a smooth I don't know. Yeah, no, transition I got you. to something after or just something calm or I don't know. It makes me feel calm. That's all I it know. Is, it's beautiful. Next, I wanted to highlight the uh, the epigraph of chapter 13. There's a spider here in this corner in that. Her three eyes tiptoe in darkness. Her eight legs track my spine. She mirrors and mocks my pacing. There's a spider here who knows all of me. Her web, my history, fully writ. Something in this strange place. A spider waits for my panicked flight. The conspiracy. Blind Gallon. 1078. So when we were reading that, when, when we were going through this uh, this week to prepare for this, I this is like one of the only chapters I didn't write about. Um, really? Because I, I liked it a lot, but I got mad at it because I felt like there was a hidden, there was something deeper to it other than me liking it. And I'm just too dumb to know what it is. That's funny. I, yeah. I think for me, what I took away, I was, I was mentioning that I like the kind of inscrutable impressionistic poems when it comes to mm-hmm. these epigraphs. And um, I think this is just getting at a type of paranoia that can overtake mm-hmm. you and a type of spiraling when it comes to thinking about conspiracies or kind of just a feeling that there is something out of your control or just the the, the menace of being unsettled, that there is yeah, something yeah. wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and spiders are spooky scary. You oh, know? yeah. did you have one you want to go to oh oh so uh chapter 15 um again it's it's a little bit less about um the contents of the epigraph which in this case is uh about uh jaggots it is it's a it's a beautiful poem again it's uh it's much more it's a little bloodier you know a little little more intense feeling uh but what what i am what i was very curious about in this reread is who fisher is because fisher pops up, I think, at least four times in these epigraphs. And I believe he may be in other books' epigraphs as well. Is this is this a character that we should know or, or, or like, will know? And Which I don't think is a spoiler if that is the case, Peter. But, um, or is this just, like, an in-universe guy that Steve has decided knows lots of stuff and writes good poems? I mean, I mean he's in a lot of epigraphs. Is that as much as we're going to see of him? You can, come on, you can answer. Are you Googling to see <laughs> I want to point to the epigraph of the start of book four, <laughs> which is um, ap- my my uh, the one that stood out the most to me because I fucking love it and it's great. And what I love about this is I am, I don't know the phrase, uh, uh, a young head, a croak nut, a crocus kid. I don't know. Not croak nut. That's not good. <laughs> I'm all about Crocus Younghand, and I always have been. By that Stop. I mean that I la- wasn't his last until, name? until I've converted recently. Now I'm fully in the tank for Crocus. Now is his last name Younghand? Yeah. Well, I did not remember that. That was his thief name, and now he's Cutter. Cutter. Um. Anyway, <laughs> so let me read this. Let me read this uh, epigraph here, and then I'll loop it back. Yeah. I dreamed a coin. With shifting face, so many youthful visages, so many costly dreams, and it rolled and rang round the gilded rim of a chalice made for gems. Mm. 
what what do do I need to there's nothing for me to say here. You know, the epigraph says everything. And not only, you know, obviously there's a specific allusion to chalice here. And then there's a specific talking about the coin, you know. Uh, Damn, I didn't even get I didn't even get that it's a reference to Chalice. I forgot that character existed completely. Come on. Anyway, so there's a specific reference to Chalice. There's a specific reference to the coin of Opan. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think more just talking about the shifting faces of youthful visages and costly dreams, I think is getting to part of what is the struggle of Crocus so much about having these different visions for his future and not really getting it and, and, and having the cost of having those different ideas pass through him. Mm-hmm. Um so this one really stood out to me and The Life of Dreams by Ilbaris the Hag is for mm-hmm. me. You know me, I'm a hag head. Oh, yeah. Before we kind of talk about it from a big picture, did you have any other ones you wanted to highlight? Um, I think the last one is maybe the opening to book seven. Uh, it, the poem is entitled Faces of Darushistan, and it's about the... Uh, the, the changing of seasons and kind of the the the, the festive the festivities that uh, come with it in Darugistan and how they celebrate Gedaron's fete. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I just think the uh, I just want to again like beautiful writing. The Lady of Spring is born anew. It is as if the gods themselves pause their breath. And I just that line is is really good. Uh, and I think it really. Set, I mean, honestly. That feeling of tension is like all I felt the entirety of book seven. So I feel like that really kind of like, you know, it's like everything builds to a fever pitch. And then I was just kind of like, I actually don't know. Maybe we just stop here. I don't want to see how it ends. I highlighted the same thing. And um, I agree. I think as we said at the best, it's like setting the tone for it. And especially mm-hmm. going into it it, it, it is talking about anticipation and you're holding your breath. You know, like what's so going to this fat, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. Moving into this uh, discussion at the end, I wanted to talk about what I would broadly categorize as the different types of epigraphs. You ready? Off yeah, the dome, I'm just going to posit some theories and then I want you to tell me what you know what you think, you know? Okay. First, I think like pure expository epigraphs. Do you mean it's just like mm-hmm. this thing is this thing, blah, 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 you know? Yeah. And then there, there's some lesser ones too in, in that realm. You know, there's one early on that's just kind of mentioning Thelom and Toblachai. And then there's some yeah. that are just mentioning Jagat. There's one here that just mentions Kalor and talks about kind of the futility yeah. of conquest. And mm-hmm. for those, I think there's some that, I don't know, there's a distinction made between them. And I'll do that in a second. You were going to say. Well, I was going to say, kind of going off of that, I I, th- yeah, I think you're right. I think there are, there's, ex- there's exposition delivered as poetry. And then there, and then I think there is poetry, like, and that's usually kind of uh I, I guess i would say not told from a point of view you know specifically and then there are many point of view poems yeah. that are recounting events that we have not yet seen there's several about silver fox like that yeah um you know what i mean I think, I think a lot of it depends on like if if there is a point of view in it that's how it you know i feel like that helps me interpret it not to sidetrack us too much but i do want to highlight the silver fox one which uh is a great example of the types of foreshadowing like ones because that mm-hmm. silver fox one comes immediately after crawl uh and kruppa and uh the rivi kind of give oh, birth and, and the bone casters kind of give birth to silver fox do you mean so that immediately follows that sequence where they like 
help soul shift tatter sail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, maybe I'm using the wrong language. You understand my point. Anyway, mm-hmm. so, but the thing is, at the time, I'm sure, Josh, you did not get this, and I didn't no, really get it when I read no. it. But, you know, it, it's these types of things that, that are laid throughout. So, I want to finish my point in that I think there are some that in the moment are meant to I- express pertinent information to the reader and then there are, i think there are some like this silver fox one or the calor one or the ones mentioning uh toblakai that are more about planting seeds and exposing the reader and just developing other information outside of the world but not necessarily about like okay you need to understand what a toblakai is you know because Bell- right 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 but Be- Be- and skull crushers in this book but he's not really that important and him being a toblakai is he a toblakai yes oh i did not get that Okay, keep going. Sorry. I would suggest rereading Gardens of the Moon, maybe. (laughs) Uh, Fuck off. Anyway, anyway. And then that brings me to a third one. I think there's some broad mystery poems, you know, just like... (laughs) Yeah. Just like about tone or about the setting, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to me, I feel like they're the three main types, you know? Immediate exposition, kind of series exposition foreshadowing, and then kind of mystery mood poems what do you think i know i think i'd agree with you there i think that pretty much sums it up um what do you what do you think uh in your first read through so not this one Mm. which of the three do you think really impacted you the most moment to moment i i think i still think the mood ones i mean yeah i think i've always felt that erickson can get carried away sometimes and like sometimes he is too verbose i feel Mm-hmm. But what's so great about when he's writing very precisely and very surgically, I think, is like that's where he's really shining, you know? Oh, yeah, so for sure. I think sometimes and that's why I've really been enjoying reading those short stories um, is because I think he shines there. And I think he really can shine in the poetry like this sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and his writing throughout the series, I think, is good, too. But I think it really changes uh, where we are in each book and where we are in each story. You know, I think depending on, you know, I think there's more variables at play with the longer work, which make just makes sense in a way. But I think mm-hmm. when you look at something like this, and, and certainly I would po- point to some of my favorite quotes in writing throughout the series are from chapter epigraphs. So, yeah, I gotcha. So throughout this, you know, we're starting this mini series to discuss all these epigraphs. Um, mm-hmm. How do you feel like you have been relating to the epigraphs so far? Because we're just finishing up House of Chains now. Do you feel mm-hmm. like you've been really globbing onto them and they've been making a lot of sense to you? Do you feel like you're kind of glossing over them? What do you think? They're they're extremely hit or miss for me. Um, yeah. I've, I feel like obviously the ones that are meant to be vague, you know, they, they do their job. I think sometimes I try too hard with the expository stuff to to make sense of it all. Um, in House of Chains, like, for example, we learned that Grub, you know, Kenneb's weird son who won't talk to him, eventually becomes First Sword. And I was like, I don't know if we're going to see that. But I, like, got really into just knowing that. Like, I love that that's just a fun fact that the world, I get to know in the world. I don't know. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I think impacts me is, like, the stuff that I can, like, immediately grasp onto, you know? Absolutely. And I think it's so funny to say that you think you overthink it sometimes. I think I underthink it sometimes, if that many things. You know, I have less of an appetite for some things, you know, and just getting really down 
into the nitty gritty sometimes is not just what well, not my particular interest. Mm-hmm. So so therefore some more detailed ones, I, I can just leave it on the table because I want to be enthralled by the poetry of it more than I want to be, I don't know, yeah. deciphering clues. But well, I think um, I think this is a good first stab at something like this. I still think we're filling out the form. Um, yeah. But I'm looking forward to having the chance to talk about it with Deadhouse Gates. And I really do hope we haven't figured out the exact Patreon schedule for the or for the remaining bonus episodes for 2020 and then going into 2021. But mm-hmm. I think we'll be able to meet up where we are with the read through, at least by book six. But. We'll figure it out. And um, yeah, can't wait. I would shoot. I I would love to be able to talk about it at the end of each book eventually, because then we Mm -hmm. could be able to reflect on the epigraphs in relations to the chapter. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that's so important. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes I think that would work really nicely. But we'll end up there. And uh, once again, I want to thank everyone who backs us on Patreon and makes bonus episodes like this possible and helps us make more podcasts. And if you want to find us uh, on Patreon, it's really easy. You just go to patreon.com slash 10 very big books. And we're 10 very big books on Twitter and Gmail. Let us know what you think of the show or uh, what you think of the epigraphs. Join and, our and Discord. As we, say, and- as we say at the end of every episode, we love you. 